Hi everyone and welcome to the Changing Tides podcast. In each episode, we invite guests to have honest conversations about their mental health journeys with the goal of destigmatizing mental health within the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Due to the nature of the podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of mental health topics and possibly triggering experiences. While we and the majority of our guests are not trained professionals, we encourage you to practice self-care while listening and seek professional guidance if you or a loved one is in need of support. With that said, let's start the episode. Hello, my name is Taryn Hara Sukihira, and I describe my mental health journey as not black and white. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Changing Tides podcast. My name is Matthew Nomura, and I am your host. Welcome to another episode. We have another great interview for you. Uh, we recorded this one a while back just because we wanted to make sure we had a few interviews in the pipeline, especially because we've been in such a transitional time with Changing Tides it's with a lot of growth, a lot of new developments, which I'm sure we will be updating you as we go. Make sure, make sure to follow us on social media for all those updates um, because that's probably the best way to do so or subscribe to our email list if you're not subscribed there. Uh, but with that said, I got to interview one of the original Changing Tides crew members for this episode. This is actually the last of the original crew members that we have interviewed. So Max, Cortland, Ty, and then the fourth one is this episode. Uh, I actually scheduled to interview them all Super the way back here. in, I think, November or December of 2022. I was able to interview them in the beginning of 2023. This episode's coming out later, but... Um, just to let you know, they're a very busy person because they're making uh, major waves in the mental health field in their career. So with all that said, I will go ahead and show you this interview that I did with Taryn Hara Sukahira. Taryn, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, we planned this like months in advance because I know how busy you are and we'll talk about that. But before then, I'd love to hear about this not black and white mental health journey you've been on and uh, why you describe it as such. This is actually a really hard fill in the blank. Um, at first, my go-to answer was hard. But when I think about my mental health journey, I can't really describe it as easy or hard or anything absolute. I think it's somewhere in between and every day changes. And I don't think that I can't think of anything in mental health that is, is really black and white. There's always some in between. Totally. Totally. So with that, I'd love to know when this complex journey began for you. I think it began before I knew it began. Um, so thinking about this, it brings up memory of being in high school and feeling really anxious. Um, I think what probably a lot of us have experienced of, um, you know, wanting to succeed in high school and like pressures to get into a good college and, you know, needing to get A's or a good GPA to get into a college. And I experienced a lot of that pressure and anxiety. And then when I got into college, I remember feeling really anxious and having my first anxiety attack and not knowing what that was. Um, so I think that's when it really began, but I didn't know I was on any kind of like mental health journey 
probably until after I returned from my year abroad. So I want to get into the year abroad, but I think even before then, I guess, when did you realize, like, when, like, at what point in your life when you were looking back, were you like, oh, all these past experiences were mental health? Because I think for me, like, when I really was like, oh, this stuff I experienced, like, it took me a while, a few mm-hmm. years removed. So when for you did you really realize, like, oh, all of the, these experiences were part of my journey? Honestly, it was probably not that long ago. I would say uh, like seven years ago, maybe. So pretty, pretty recent, I would say. Yeah, totally. And I, I, and I, I, I think that's encouraging to hear for the average person because you're like a, a social worker and a therapist mm-hmm. and mental health is your career. So I think it's encouraging to hear that because it's like, no one has it all figured out, you know? Yeah. So, I think it's it's good that we all, no matter what profession you're in, mm-hmm. like have a chance to look back on our own stories and figure these things out. But um, you mentioned your year abroad and I know this, I, I want to hear more about this story. So, so, what about this year abroad was the beginning of realizing your mental health journey and where did that lead you? So... I had always dreamed of living abroad, whether that came from um, pressure from one of my parents or not. Um, It did end up turning into like a a dream of mine. Um, And with that dream, I also had a lot of expectations. And unfortunately, these expectations weren't met. And so soon I had to learn that that's just kind of not how life was going to be for me abroad. Um, But really in the first couple weeks of uh, living in Japan, I think it came to be true that mental health does not discriminate. Like it doesn't matter what nationality you are, ethnicity, race, social status, any of that. It It absolutely does not matter. And I remember being in the office and um, another teacher telling me about one of the teachers that I was working for. Um, And it first started off like about how she was struggling with the kids and how she couldn't really manage their behaviors. Um, But then it turned into uh, her telling me about how this teacher was um, indulging in sweets during break and uh, was wearing long sleeves in you know the hottest time of the year in Japan and how she maybe was engaging in self-injurious behavior. And the way that it was talked about, there was just so much shame and not empathy. Um, and so just hearing what was going on um, really took me aback. Um, because I'm a foreigner in another country and here there's this like mental health crisis, but nobody is doing anything about it or nobody is really trying to help. They're just talking about it in a very shameful way. Um, and so with that being said, I also learned that it's okay to ask for help. Um, in the first couple of months, there was definitely like culture shock that I experienced and I struggled a lot like with my identity and being Japanese American and also being so prideful to be Japanese 
and live in Japan, but then realize that I don't pass as Japanese because I don't look like how they do and I don't speak as well as I thought their language. And that was really, really hard for me. And I experienced depression like I had never before and a lot of anxiety too. Um, and one day I had been crying and just overwhelmed with all of that. And my friend had passed me the telephone and on the other line, she told me to talk to the person. Um, and it was essentially, it's called TELL, T-E-L-L. I don't know if it stands for anything. I'm sure it does. But um, it was essentially the suicide prevention hotline, but the Japanese or the Japan version, but for English speakers. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea like that was what was going to be on the other line, but found it very comforting to talk to somebody who could speak my language. Um And that was one of like the biggest takeaways is how important culturally competent services are. So I had also reached out uh, to a therapist for the first time ever. And the services weren't what I needed. Um, And I learned that it it was because they weren't culturally competent. Um, So that's really all of that. Um, But especially the cultural competency is what led me to want to pursue Uh, mental health because i didn't know before i went abroad that i even wanted to pursue mental health totally so i was trying to figure out this in the timeline too and also thank you for sharing and i also appreciate you like putting like this kind of in a summarized form on your website where by the way on your website which will be linked in this episode people could book appointments with you i just want to put that out there Um, I, 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 of course I, but I appreciate you putting that there because the, the cultural side of mental health care is so important. And I don't think anyone was super aware of that until recently, like probably before you're even in this field, right? Like, I don't think that was talked about, about, Mm -hmm. you know, how people of your same background are going to be able to help provide care. So with that in mind though, like, I guess, uh, could you outline some of the ways why it's important to have someone of a similar background, like for those who may not understand the importance mm-hmm. of that? Um, the very, very like most simple thing that comes to mind is, is language, because that's what I experienced, just not having somebody that speaks the same language as you and how um, you might feel misunderstood. And um, in my day-to-day work uh, for my full-time job, I see that so often, like when I go to help individuals that their first language is Spanish and I don't speak Spanish and how much of a disservice that is to them. Um, I felt like what, or I got to feel what it was like to be on that other end. So language is the first thing that, um, and the most simplest thing comes to mind. And then also um, just like the things that we might experience in our families or things that are passed down from generations um, and expectations, all of that uh, plays into it. Um, I've had therapists that are of different cultural backgrounds and I've had one that was had a cultural background very similar to mine. And even though um, her culture was similar, we still, there were still some differences but she was able to, or from what I felt like, she was able to understand still where I was coming from because she had a very similar experience. So I felt like there was a 
a higher level of understanding and validation. Got it. Got it. Yeah, because I mean, just from personal experiences that I've heard ever since I started volunteering and working with Changing Tides is almost an even an invalidation of mm-hmm. experiences, like like not even understanding why this is like this or that is an issue for certain people, whether it be grades or if it be family pressures, like sometimes it's just like a different understanding as to like, why would that even be a problem? Yes. Um, but so I was, what I was going to get at before, but it kind of slipped my mind was when in the timeline did your involvement with Changing Tides begin? Because you were one of the founding members of Changing Tides. So when was that before you decided to go into this field or was it kind of at the same time? It was actually at the same time. I think I was maybe in my last year. So the MSW program is two years. And so I think I was in my second year um, or some, maybe somewhere in between there. But it started off with like me trying to figure out what I was going to do with my MSW because um, I actually had no idea that social workers were therapists, Mm. um, which is really funny to say, because that's what I do. And that's what I always wanted to be. Um, but I had no idea, like, that's not why I chose social work. Um, and so I was, when I was kind of figuring out what I was going to do with my degree, I was trying to reach out to all the social workers I knew to like, find out like, like what they'd ended up doing. And there's not very many Asian American social workers that I know, Um, So I was even more interested in learning about what they've done with their career. And I learned Cortland's mom, Margaret, is a social worker. And so I asked Cortland if I could be connected to her. And then I met up with Margaret. And then shortly after that, Cortland reached out to me to tell me about this cool thing that she wanted to try out. Um, And back then it was an initiative of little LTSC, um, which turned into Changing Tides. So I think at that point she had told me she had already reached out to Max um, and I'm not sure if she had reached out to Ty just yet, but I guess from pretty much the beginning, but after Max. (laughs) Mm. So, okay. I like to, I've asked Ty, I've asked Cordy, I've asked Max, I've asked everyone like, like for their own perspectives on the early days of Changing Tides because it's kind of like the the CT uni- cinematic universe where it's like I'm trying to figure out like what it looked like in those early days. So from your perspective, like what were the early days of Changing Tides like? Because it was just an initiative at the time. Mm-hmm. So like figuring out what Changing Tides would be, what was all of that like? I feel like it was just a blank slate because I mean, I've never heard of anything like Changing Tides before. Um or at the time I hadn't. And it was really just like a free for all, like what, whatever idea was thrown out there, like we would try and run with it. If it worked out, it did. If it didn't, then that's, that was fine. And it was a lot of um, texting, a lot of Google docs, a lot of in-person meetings at uh, Carolyn's house. And it was really, I just, I guess, freeing to be able to talk so openly about mental health and just throw out all kinds of ideas and see where that led us. Mm -hmm. So I guess that kind of leads me to another question, but when it was a free for all and it wasn't like, you know, you hadn't seen something like CT before Mm -hmm. from the early days to now as a practicing social worker and therapist, how have you seen the field of therapy and mental health change from now, from then to now? 
the field of therapy outside of of changing tides? Um, I guess let's start with like the field of mental health, like how, like just the landscape of how people are talking about it and what mm-hmm. you're seeing as a practicing therapist. How is it different from when you were working with the the changing tides? I feel like because that's been what like five plus years now. 2018 was the first event so we're coming up on yeah 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 i i'm trying to think what even existed back then but like i feel like mental health being in like the mainstream social media world like did not exist before Hmm. um and it's just everywhere now like it's i get instagram ads for like clothing that says mental health matters um that's like sponsored by the peanuts like i get ridiculous like ads for mental health and which is great like it's it's everywhere now and i think the conversation about mental health is is more than it ever has been um and i think just in that sense like the the shame has in some aspects has been taken away from the conversation, which is, is great to see. And I think a lot of people are more open to talking about it and, and getting help. Mm -hmm. So I guess then from now that you are a therapist, have you heard from other therapists or just like from your early experiences going to therapy? Have you seen the field of how clinicians approach therapy? Has that changed at all? Do you think? Hmm. I don't know about necessarily the approaches to therapy changing aside from like the fact that, you know, a lot of therapists are using telehealth now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe also being a little bit unconventional, um, which is something that I came across and then actually really enjoy in terms of like that therapy doesn't need to be like what we see in the movies. Like it Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be, me sitting in a chair and you sitting on a couch, just (laughs) disclosing all your deep, dark secrets, but it could be like going on a walk or sitting at a park or sitting at the beach. It could be, you can do therapy anywhere. It, it doesn't need to be that like prescribed image that we have in our heads. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I think consist people who consistently listen to this podcast are probably so annoyed of me because I always say I always go back to the fact that I don't think people call therapists shrinks anymore. I think like the stigma around a therapist or just like the idea of a therapist is totally different now because I feel mm-hmm. like shrink is such like a weird um not like clinical but like like something is wrong if you're seeing a, a shrink opposed to if you see a therapist. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, I've only been called a shrink once. And I must say there was like a big age gap between me and (laughs) the client who was calling me a shrink. But I was very surprised. And yeah, you don't really hear that. I don't know, ever really. Yeah, right? That's so funny that you you acknowledge the age difference of the person who said that. Because it's like, I, I think people of our age are like totally different in their like mm-hmm. thinking of therapists. Yeah. Um, so you, so, okay. So you mentioned it earlier that you didn't realize social workers were therapists. And I'd love to hear because I think there is that confusion for a lot of people yeah. about 
the fact that you are both of those things, but that doesn't mean you're, but they are two different job titles. So can you talk about what is different between these two job titles? And can you outline like how they differ in this field of mental health? So I guess at the core, I would say I'm a social worker. And the reason why I chose to go into social work without knowing that I could be a therapist was that my main goal was that I wanted to be able to provide resources to others. Um, like those that just, you know, cause there's all these resources that we hear about, but sometimes people just don't know where to find them. They don't know how to get connected. And so I wanted to essentially be a case manager and be able to people with resources. Um, so I think at the root, like I'm a social worker. Uh, in the sense that like I can, I'm supposed to be able to kind of understand like the outside world and like the things that are going on, like environmental um, factors that influence somebody's life and be able to help them in that way. Um, But as a therapist, like providing psychotherapy, um, I am like very much that traditional role of a therapist. But then because of my background of social work, I feel like I am also able to provide resources maybe in a different way than other professionals that who are also therapists, but have a different degree, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it, I, I mean, I think it makes sense. Uh, I <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm surrounded by social workers at LTSC, <laughs> but I thought that made a lot of sense. Um, so, you know, you, you approach this field wanting to provide resources and aid people, but, you know, you, this kind of spark, sparked this inspiration of, to enter the field from your own mental health and acknowledging, you know, the the ups and downs of it. Mm-hmm. So as you're in this career of assisting others with their mental health, how do you ensure that you're caring for yourself at the same time and being there for yourself? So this will kind of address the fact that I'm hard to track down and I work a lot. Um my, the way that I, I guess, self-care is maybe a little bit different and oddly different to others is that like, I really enjoy working. And I think part of it is because I've learned over the years that like, if I have a free day, um, or multiple free days, like a Saturday and a Sunday where I have nothing planned, like I will not know what to do with myself. Like, sure, like people could suggest like, oh, like, you know, you could binge watch uh, Netflix or go on a walk or a hike or, you know, do all these things that sound great and sound relaxing. But I that that doesn't work for me. Mm. Like, I like being busy and active. And for me, work provides me with that fulfillment that I need. Huh. Um, but in the days that I do not work, um. I guess I, I do indulge in like watching TV shows and, and that kind of thing, but I, I enjoy being busy. Gotcha. I, I could sort of relate, but at the same time, I'm also someone who's like, oh, if I could sleep until 1 p.m. on the weekend, then I will. But do you, do you experience or have you experienced burnout when you do need a break? Or do you really just like you want to always be on the go? Um, yeah, I absolutely have experienced burnout and I think it comes more so not with like the, the heaviness of like, um, conversations with people or 
like the kind of clients that I assist. It's more so like struggles with the system and how the system fails us. Um, And that's when I feel the burnout. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that is a side of, because I think um, in terms of seeking care of your own mental health and being a social worker or therapist, it's so multi-layered in terms of your own self-care and then the, like the frustrations with the system. But I'm always so curious about how you are able to be the empathetic person you are, but then be able to handle these conversations day in and day out, you know? So I don't know if there's like a, a clear way to express it, but like how, how are you able to keep going despite the, the difficulties of some of the conversations you have? And this is so cliche, but like to put yourself in their shoes mm. because like we as like social workers or the, the professionals providing the service, like we get to walk away, mm. but they don't. Like if it's a family member that's calling and asking for help for their loved one, like they, they're not going to leave because they're going to do everything they can to get their loved one help. And so they're still going to experience these struggles. And so when I come in, I mean, that's where I have to really put myself in their shoes and understand how difficult it is for them to navigate the system um, despite the, the flaws in the system. Mm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I mean, I think it takes a lot of, I, I don't think people realize how much work and um, dedication that social workers put into their job. Because as you said, you do get to walk away, but at the same time, you know, it is a day in, day out grind mm-hmm. of working with different individuals and um, not only emotionally, but physically, it's, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so Thank you for all that you do. And shout out to everyone at LTSC and uh, the state for the work that you do. Part of what, uh, this is kind of calling back from something earlier, but, mm-hmm. you know, we we do see so much awareness of social me- of mental health on social media. And something that I feel, as well as a lot of other, I think, younger folks feel is that it's it feels like it's on almost endless cycle of folks although we are more aware, struggling with their mental health. And I think a lot of folks feel almost helpless that this mental health situation isn't going to get better. And even maybe even because of the awareness of it, it seems like things are getting worse. But mm-hmm. as someone in this field who is actively trying to not let that happen, how, how do you remain hopeful for an improved mental health journey for, I don't know, the world or just in your immediate sphere that this endless mental health journey will, or mental health like epidemic almost will maybe hopefully come to an end. I mean, I think the change is happening. It's just happening very, very, very slow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it's just holding on to the hope that like this little bit of change will eventually become something more. Um, and it's sad that like it took a pandemic to really shine the light on the lack of mental health services. Um, but with the pan- pandemic, I mean, came with tons of money. 
flowing into different agencies um, to be able to provide adequate mental health services. And so that gives me some hope that um, people have recognized that there's a need for it. And if we don't provide this, like we don't know what our future will look like, especially with like, you know, kids going back to school and really struggling to um, get back into it just socially and um, academically too. Mm -hmm. I think that's been one of the more interesting things that I've kind of seen, but I haven't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've seen a lot of coverage, but it seems like coming out of the pandemic, when everyone expected this to be like the moment where things improved, mm-hmm. it seems like that adjustment period became a, a larger struggle than the the emotional toll of the pandemic itself. Mm-hmm. Is that something that it kind of seems like is happening from from your point of view, or am I mistaken? Um, wait to like get back into like the flow yeah. of things. It seems like getting like once we everyone returned to schools or in person mm-hmm. work, it seemed yeah. like that actually exacerbated the problem rather than mm-hmm. improving it. And I appreciate you nodding because I thought maybe I was I was wrong in that. But is that something that you're seeing as well in in your practice? Yeah, I think you know some people got really comfortable with it, it was shock at first, right? But then I think a lot of people got comfortable with being at home and mm-hmm. not having to go out and not having to really socialize, and so then being thrown back into this big transition all of a sudden to go back to school go back to work go back in person and meet with people face to face it it i think maybe some people produced a lot of anxiety and just fear um and so i think in some cases that's kind of what we're seeing totally yeah because i I mean i remember like that's how i personally felt but for some reason like the the traditional like news coverage was pandemic's over like hooray let's celebrate but like i don't think anyone really felt that way and i thought maybe it was just me and I had my interpretation but i'm glad that i i'm verbalizing it to you now so yeah but anyway um i have a few like quick silly questions to ask you uh but before then is there anything i didn't touch on or anything that you'd like to say before before that um just that i'm really proud of how far changing tides has come. I think um, the services that are being provided now and the events as well are just really supportive of our community. Mm. Um, The ripple effect, I think, really touched a lot of people um, and just brought to light kind of what, what people might be struggling with, even though it's not openly talked about in our community. Um, and then CT stream as well. I think it's it's been really cool to see the numbers um, of how many individuals changing tides has has been able to help with this program. And the fact that like people are even like the fact that people are applying, like I think in a, in and of itself is is huge because they're saying like, hey, like I want therapy. I've never had it before. Like my parents may or may not be on board or like I may be judged for this, but like, this is something that I want and I want to do this because of X, Y, and Z. And so I think that is, is really great that that is being offered and that people are taking advantage of it too. Mm -hmm. And not only through your website, but Taryn's also part of our CT stream directory. So if anyone listening is like, you know what? I think I could talk to Taryn and 
I've never been to therapy and I don't know if my parents are on board exactly what Taryn just outlined. You could actually request Taryn through CT Stream with with uh, whatever capacity Taryn has at the moment. But um, yeah, I mean, you you hit everything. It it is it has been a, a whirlwind, but I think it just speaks to. Um, I mean, I appreciate the kind words about changing tides, but I do think it just speaks to the need that there is for mental health services and opening the conversation. So, a lot more work to be done, but thankful for you and the CT family for for doing the work so um but yes that does bring me to some of the the quick fire questions and before i get to the like the more random ones <laughs> i want to know if there's something if there is a fear or a stigma around therapy that you could try to debunk for listeners that you you see or hear often is there like a fear or like anything like around therapy that you you hear from your clients often? Um, I, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is like that I'm going to force medication. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm not a psychiatrist, so <laughs> I will not be doing that. Um, and also when, when people do ask that or the topic of medication comes up, um, I usually like to say, you know, like, you know, you're trying therapy for a reason, like, let's try this out. If it gets to a point where you feel like it's not improving, then maybe we can talk about like a referral to a psychiatrist or talking to a psychiatrist. And then there still is like a lot of fear about just like taking medication. Um, and the way I like to explain it is that like, if you imagine that you're in a really um, deep hole and you're trying to get out, but you can't, um, you have some tools that you've learned in therapy and it, it's like brings you up like a little bit up of a ladder out of that hole. Um, but it just doesn't bring you completely out of the hole. Um, but then with medication, it brings you a little bit more and then you continue to work on with those tools and then it brings you out of the hole. Mm -hmm. And then the hope is that like, you don't have to be on medication your entire life because you've with medication and with the tools, you've really solidified those tools to be able to function and to be able to get back to normal. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that's probably the, the biggest fear and anxiety that people have when they, they come in. Yeah, no, I'm so glad that I, I'm so glad that I asked that one first before like the silly ones, because that was actually so, so helpful, I think, because I don't think, and it's, I think it's a fair uh, confusion, but I don't think even everyone knows the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Mm -hmm. So just to know that I think is helpful because you're not going to walk into therapy and leave prescribed. Right. Um, so that's super helpful. Thank you for that. And now with that, I could ask you the more ridiculous ones or just silly ones, uh, which is if you're a raindrop, where would you fall, especially with all the rain lately? Ooh. Wow. That is not what I expect. <laughs> Um, for some reason that gave me like an image Okay. Like, and what came to mind was a maple leaf. I don't know why, um, but I really like maple trees. Well, there you go. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, if you could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would they be? Oh gosh. Uh, five. That's a lot of people. Um, 
I guess the first three would be my grandparents mm. uh, that I met while I was alive or well, I mean, while they were alive. Got it. Got it. <laughs> and then maybe the fourth would be my grandparent that I didn't meet uh, while, or he, he had passed away before I was born. Mm. Okay. So that's four people. Ooh, that's tough. Um, and I think my fifth, this would be a really weird, like, dinner or, like, <laughs> what, That's how I like it. Gathering. That's how I like these ones. Um, my fifth one would be Brene Brown. Have you heard of her? I have not. Okay. She's a um, LCSW, and she she also oh, okay. has a podcast um, and has written a lot of books, and she talks a lot about vulnerability, and there's just so much to learn from her, and I I would really like to meet her in person. Oh, super cool. I should actually edit this where I said I do know who this person is. <laughs> And they would be a great podcast guest on the CT podcast. So what? I do know, big fan. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, okay. So as I was scrolling through your website and your Instagram to try to figure out my interview questions for you, I came across one particularly silly Instagram post of yours. Oh, no. And I would like to quiz you on something. And that is for you to name as many LA team athletes as possible. <laughs> On the spot? <laughs> oh, um, all right. Mookie Betts. Okay. Kobe Bryant. LeBron James. Anthony Davis. Uh, uh, CP3. Or, I, no? Not anymore. Not oh. anymore. Not anymore? Uh-uh. What happened to him? He's in Phoenix. Oh, we said LA. Shoot. Sorry. I was just going off all... all. Um... Oh, no, no. LA. Because I remember I, the post was about you being a Sacramento. True. Proud Sacramentoan. Sacramentan. <laughs> uh, and LA sports players. Uh, Schroeder. Don't know yeah. his first name. Um, that only keeps mind because I watched... Some of the game yesterday. Okay. Um, <laughs> is does Justin Turner still count, or he did he get traded? I think he left. Oh man! Okay. I know this is the the, the baseball off season too. Ooh. Oh, and that is there's that one really good guy on the Lakers who starts. <laughs> it's not going to come to me, and then I will never remember once I um, I will never forget his name once. I go back and look, but it's not going to come to me. It's okay. I might have to tap out. All right. Hey, it's okay. Um, I remember you said you did more than you ever, he ever thought your husband ever thought you would. Oh, yes. And that's, that's something, right? Uh, and Sacramento sports or Sacramento basketball is doing really well right now. So you have that over LA. Light the so, beam. Yeah. I, I refuse to acknowledge it, but they're doing well. And it's bothering me, but it's okay. Um, anyway, besides light the beam, all that nonsense, uh, just to round it out, uh, what would the title of your autobiography be? That, that, that is the, what probably the hardest question. I agree. It's a tough one. Gosh, do people have an answer for that off the top of their head? Uh, some people have. Oh, I have never, ever given that thought. I usually try to give suggestions, but I'm trying to... I, I don't even have suggestions off the top right now. 
this might be like one will where you will have to like add it into like the description mm. of the podcast later on because I okay. I don't think that's gonna come to me. <laughs> if it hits you, take your time. Uh, we're recording this before it'll be coming out, so I could always add it in later. Um, but if it happens to hit you on a random Tuesday, Saturday afternoon, feel free to let me know and we will add it in. I'll think about it. Okay. But anyway, Taryn, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for helping found Changing Tides, which is where I'm currently working. And I just love the, the work that uh, we're able to do. And it's thanks to you and the other founding members. Uh, thank you for doing the amazing work that you do in the field. And uh, I'll, I'll be patiently waiting for your autobiography title. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that. Thank okay, you for having great. me. Thank you again to Taryn for joining us on the podcast and discussing how she got into the mental health field and the work that she does right now. Uh, again, in the episode description, we will have her website, and you could also reach out to her through CT Stream. She is one of our great therapists uh, in CT Stream. Uh, if she has the capacity right now, I know we recorded this a while back, but if she has the capacity still, um, she is a great person, and you might really connect with her to be a potential therapist. Uh, but with all that said, if you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our show for our episodes that release every other Tuesday and give us a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you would like to support our podcast and help us grow, you can do so with a donation to the link at the bottom of the episode description. To hear more about Changing Tides, follow us on Instagram at LTSC underscore Changing Tides, or check out our website, thechangingtides.org. Let's continue to change the tide on mental health. Yeah.